few hurt we got this morning that started in the back our service today. We've been a little while. We're going to have our kids kind of open us up with the Palm Sunday celebration. But uh, several announcements that we want to make this morning. Uh, first of all, we are going to be uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper, and uh, we've got our biggest passing out the Lord's Supper uh, packet with the uh, wafers and juice. So be sure to get that so that in the service uh, later on you'll be prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, with us. And then uh, at the conclusion of the service, uh, please be sure to take that uh, with you. Just throw it away when the bench is out in the back. If you didn't get one, just kind of lift your hand. Uh, the deacons will get you one, and uh, we'll make sure everybody's got one. Uh, a couple of uh, other announcements going on. Don't forget, we are continuing to uh, push our A. Armstrong Easter offering. We'll be taking that up through the month of April. And that's for our North American missions. Uh, so I want to encourage you to give to that. And then uh, also uh, Easter, which is next week. We're uh, looking forward to a big day there. Our kids, our young kids are going to be singing. And they're going to be uh, doing um, uh, some programs. So that's going to be part of a, a special day. And then we're also planning on baptism to start the service. Easter egg hunt, that's uh, Saturday, April the 3rd at 4. Time's been moved up on that. And so uh, uh, we still need candy and eggs for for the Easter egg hunt. And you can drop that off either at the church office, and there's a box that'll be out in the little foyer area there, too. So uh, you, can, you can put them in there. But also this morning, we've got a special uh, Sunday recognition because we have uh, Andy K. Any other announcements? 
that we have. Uh, I will continue to remember in prayer uh, this morning when the heart group will just kind of back a little bit and hand it down a family person that needs to be lifted up uh, as well. So uh, keep those in your prayers this morning. And uh, it is good to be together in on Palm Sunday, Sunday. So are we ready? And I'm getting thumbs up. All right. So uh, I want you to join with me here in a second. I'm just going to tell you what to say, and then you can repeat it with me. Uh, Hosanna, the King is come. Are right, you ready? Hosanna, the King is come. Thank you. 
your Bible this morning and open to John chapter 12, and then also you can take and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be there uh, for a little bit this morning together. If you didn't have or didn't get a uh, Lord's Supper package, we appreciate sure that you can get you one. I think everyone of you have got one if you're at home and watching online. We mentioned, of course, uh, you can use these crackers and, and uh, that would be just fine. And if you didn't have anything this morning, the good thing about being online is Humanity. 
the glory of His holiness, the glory of His beauty, the glory of His love. Just a strange way to reveal that, manifest that, and show that uh, for Jesus to come to become a man, to lower Himself, is uh, being subject to the the hardships of, uh, of being a human, being a person. And then not only that, but walking that road, we call the, the, that road of the, the Via Dolorosa, that road of suffering. Even as the Bible says, to the point of the cross, Jesus died as a criminal on a cross. Unthinkable that God would choose that way to display His glory to this world, His salvational glory to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We've been reading about that in John chapter 12, and uh, beginning in verse 26, If anyone would serve me, he must follow me where I am, there my servants may be also. For if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so he's getting ready to start talking about this strange world. But Jesus says in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come uh, to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there that day, the disciples, Greeks, and others, stood there and they heard it. They, they heard the, uh, what, thought, what they thought was thunder. Others thought it was an angel that had spoken to them. And Jesus then answered and said, Well, this voice has come for your sakes, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world, this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That is what brought us to this passage uh, when we were going through this uh, study on Satan himself, where Satan is defeated. Jesus makes it clear what's happening right now in this present moment, in this present time of this Passover and what you're getting ready to witness is Satan being defeated. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show them what kind of death he was going to die. Of course, he said that he's talking about the cross, he's talking about the suffering. But we pointed to last week, we talked about maybe the greatest victory that Jesus won was the victory of humility. Jesus died and shows us a genuine humility of being a servant. And so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains uh, forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is am- among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. In other words, I'm here, look for me. Your answers are going to be, or your questions will be answered in me. While I'm here, Follow me, see what I'm doing for you, understand that this is a very dark time. Uh, and if you're not careful, if you don't keep your eye on me, darkness can overtake you and you can lose uh, the promise that God has made to you. So while you have the light, he says, verse 36, believe in the light that you may become, listen, sons of the light, or children of the light. Now I'll say this morning, that's where we've come to. We've done our best in these weeks together to keep our eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, as we get into this Passover Passion Week uh, here in this Easter season, our eyes upon Christ and upon what He has done at the cross. Last week, we looked at His victory that He won in humility. And that's probably the greatest victory that Jesus won Himself because you remember we said that was the battle over himself. That was the battle that Jesus had to fight with himself to go all the way to be obedient to the Father, to drink that cup of suffering, to die on the cross in such a horrible, agonizing, and shameful way. But what we're going to see now this week is what I call the victory that Jesus wins for us. And I want, to, I want to show you out of 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, and in verse 18, just one verse this morning, that beautiful victory, what I want to call the atoning victory of Jesus. And Peter, that great apostle, uh, the leader of the church, says this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered 
once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Dr. Lee, R.G. Lee, is a great pastor of Bellevue, when he was alive years ago, he said this is not the death of Jesus. He said the death of Jesus was prearranged. He said the death of Jesus was prophesied, and the death of Jesus provided by God. Now, he said that because the Bible says that Jesus was born to die. That's why he came. Yeah, that's why Jesus descended out of heaven, came to earth, came in the form of a babe, lived as a man for some 33 years, and then went the way of the cross. Now, I want to say that makes Jesus totally different. That makes Jesus' life and death uh, totally different than ours. Let me just say that uh, there are three things that, that point out what Jesus did in his death that are so different than, than, than our death. One is, Jesus died a sacrificial death for sin. Jesus is the only person who was ever born to die. You and I are born to live. When God breathed life into Adam and into Eve in that very beginning, he breathed in them life. And it was to live. Now, God told them, of course, I'm going to give you a choice. And I'm going to make it real simple. Matter of fact, your choice is just going to be me or yourself. And the only temptation, the only uh, area where you could fall would be what? To take and eat of one tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree that God called the, the, the tree of uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a tree of insight, a tree of understanding, a different path. If you eat of that tree, you have sinned against me. You have chosen self over me. I'm going to give you a choice. And of course, if you think about it, there's a perfect world, a perfect environment, a perfect fellowship. Adam and Eve were created in this perfect kind of utopia garden. And the only thing they couldn't do, the only thou shalt not, is don't eat that one tree. Every other tree in the garden was great. Every other thing in the garden was there for their good, for the life, for the life it was. And they were created to live. But of course, we know the story of Satan, the one we went through. Satan comes along and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve. Why don't you decide what's best for you? Don't listen to the word of God. And he twisted the word of God. And he tempted them, and he got them to eat of that tree. And then in that moment, they sinned. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. Romans tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And since that time, we know what? Every man, woman, boy, girl, who will be born, would one day die. I'm thinking about it, you know, the big question that, we, that everybody asks is what? Is there life after death? That's what everybody wants to know. Is there life after death? As Christians, we believe there's life after death. We believe there's life after death in heaven. We believe there's life after death uh, in hell if you reject Christ. We believe that there is the eternal life after death. But you know, no one seems to ask, is there death after life? I mean, we all know that, don't we? I don't know about you, but I expect to die. Matter of fact, I expect one day you will die. I expect one day those that I love will die. My prayer is, of course, what? Well, I'm sure like yours, that I go first. You know, no parent wants to see their child die. Unfortunately, we see times like that happen. Moments like that happen. We understand death is a reality. Death is coming to every home, every person, every heart, every individual that's ever lived and is alive today. Death comes. But what about life after death? How do we get there? Well, God says, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way through the sin problem. And it's going to be that I'm going to send my son. And when Jesus came, he was the only person ever born with the intention 
to die. Jesus said in John 10, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And he's saying, I lay down my life that you may have life after death. And so there's this sacrificial death for sin that Jesus gives us in his death. Secondly, there is the substitution uh, uh, death that Jesus provides for sinners. Uh, Romans uh, 5, verse 8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for what? The Gospels tell us what? That Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is the substitution for our sin payment. God is holy. God is righteous. And God cannot have any fellowship or association with anything that is unrighteous, uh, anything that is unholy, anything that is stained with sin. As I've been studying atonement this week, you know, I've been amazed. I didn't realize there is such a deep divide uh, in the the whole theological thought of atonement. Matter of fact, there's two uh, big camps. I'm just going to mention them. I'm not going to get into them. One of them is that what Jesus did on the cross, the atoning work, was to defeat evil. That Jesus was going to. When he died on the cross, he defeated Satan, he defeated evil. And that's the basic work of why Jesus had to die on the cross. And, and, and so there's a, there's a belief out there that that's what it was all about. And on the other hand, there's another belief out there that, that says that Christ is the substitution. He is the penal substitution. He's the payment for our sins upon Calvary's cross. And, uh, and, and the extreme view of that is that, that that's what the cross was all about. It had nothing to do with being victorious over Satan and being victorious over uh, uh, sin. Now, I think the extreme parts of those are, are, are wrong. I think what we found in Jesus is actually God. I think that Jesus, in the pivotal moment of his death upon the cross, I believe that Jesus nailed the victory shot. He had defeated Satan. He defeated sin on the cross. The moment he died, Satan's uh, defeat was what was settled. His, his, his uh, victory won. But I also believe that on the moment that Christ died, he shed his blood on Calvary's cross for us, he took our place. He took, for example, me off the cross. And he put himself on the cross. And he took within himself the full wrath, the full judgment of God, so that if I put my faith in him, put my belief in him, then what? I don't have to stand before the Holy Father and give an account for my life, for my salvation. He took my place. He was the substitutionary atonement for my sins. And then third, Christ died a death sufficient for my salvation. Jesus became the focal point of God's holy judgment. Now, dear friend, I want to say to you this morning, it isn't a question on whether or not God will judge sin. Every sin ever committed, every sin ever imagined, thought of in your heart and in your mind, every unholy act, every unholy deed, anything that is, is evil and sinful and immoral and unbiblical will be judged. The question is in whom will it be judged? Will it be judged in Christ or will it be judged in you? If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will have to stand and you will have to stand before holy God in judgment of your sin. Now, there are those out there that says, well, I don't like that picture. Uh, I don't like the picture of God being this wrathful uh, uh, God of wrath and judgment. Well, let me say this. The Bible says about God that God is love. And then you go, well, how can you say that God would show judgment? 
to be the God of love. Well, He's also a holy God. And the love of God and the holiness of God demands that God judge His sin. God must judge sin because He is loving. God must judge sin because He is holy. And even when, and listen, and when God does something, let me tell you something. He doesn't do it halfway. Alright? When God does something, God does it in a perfect way. Think about for a moment this world that you need to us. There's a lot of things in this world that, quite frankly, I don't think we need. I mean, do we really need, and I think there's an argument about was Pluto, is that a planet now or not? They decided maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a, a little hump of rock floating around out there. I don't know, but I don't care. I mean, you know, my life didn't change when somebody began to say, well, it's not really a planet. And, and, and my life didn't improve when people stood up and said, yes, it's a planet. I mean, Pluto floating around out there around the Earth, you know, and the foyer reaches the water solar system. Not a big deal. But God created it anyway. Out of his beauty, out of his magnificence, out of his might. As a matter of fact, God created a universe that can't even be imagined. I mean, there are more galaxies, not planets, more galaxies in our solar system, just I mean, in, in, in our universe, than there are grains of sand in the sea. Now, did God have to make that many? Absolutely not. But he did. Out of his perfectness, out of his beauty, out of his might, out of his magnitude. So let me ask you something. You look around and you see nature. You see all the beauty of this world and all the magnificence of God. And when God does something, he does it right. I mean, just think for a moment, little Amy Kelly. Wasn't she just a precious little bit? I mean, aren't you babies beautiful? God doesn't have to make babies so precious. I mean, you know. Even the, usually, even the hardest hearted person usually looks at a baby and thinks, oh, that's just so precious and innocent. <laughs> God's splendor of creation. If God does stuff so perfectly, why should we be surprised that when God is called to the table of judgment to judge sin, that he would do it any less in any less of a way? So, dear friend, if you stand before God, let me tell you, he will do it perfectly. He will not miss it. He will not back it up. He will not back away. He won't uh, ease off the pedal, so to speak. He will give you the full judgment that your sin demands, His holiness demands, that His love demands. But the good news is, you and I don't have to stand at the table of God's judgment. Christ has said, I will take that seat for you on Calvary's cross. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that's what he was teaching the disciples. Guys, I, I've come to sit at the table of God's judgment so you don't have to sit at that table. And this Passover that you've been celebrating for all the, these years as Hebrew people, that started back with Moses, that celebration that you've been celebrating that looks forward to the coming of the Christ, that day has arrived, guys. And at that moment, Christ began to share with the disciples what was about to happen on the cross. And that's where we're at this morning. We come to the table of this fellowship, the table of his love. It's also the table of judgment. If you reject Christ, you must have a seat at the table of the judgment of God. And answer for your sin. But if you've accepted Christ, then this morning is the table of his fellowship. And what we have in our hand, what you have in your hand, what you have at home, is the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say, remind you that it is for Christians, only those who have asked Christ to live in their hearts. For you to eat and drink of it in any other way, it, to, to do so from Bible says an unworthy manner. Because Christ doesn't live in your heart. But the good news is, in a moment, we're going to give an opportunity for you to invite Christ to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior. But this morning, we do come to that moment of the table of God's judgment and God's fellowship. Luke chapter 22, when that day came of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, 
And Peter, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepared? And he said to them, Behold, when you enter a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he entered. And tell the master of the house that the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as Jesus told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It's a new covenant in my blood. And these things Jesus told the disciples to explain to him, to explain to them what was coming. Our table this morning, we have prepared for us the bread that Jesus broke. It is his broken body, beaten, bruised upon Calvary's cross. This morning we have that cup that Jesus poured for those disciples, that cup that he prayed, Lord, let this uh, cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And our tradition here has always been to set that table and set a place for the Lord Jesus Christ. We set that cup, we set that bread for Jesus this morning as we together join with him in anticipation of that great day in which he would come. Would you pray with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, our hearts, our minds are centered in on you. You're the focal point of our thoughts. And we think this morning, Jesus, about your broken body and your shed blood. And as we come to this time of communion, we pray, Lord, that, that you're right in every way. We are called to be right with you. And that, Lord Jesus, where we're wrong, where our life is out of fellowship, out of step, we repent, we confess, and we trust in you. Lord, this morning, if someone here is not a Christian, someone watching this morning, and they've not yet come to you, Lord, maybe through the Holy Spirit's conviction, they'll feel that, that need, that understanding that discernment to come and give their heart to you. And Lord, at that moment of invitation, to pray that prayer, to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. But Lord, this morning, help us as we partake of this. And we pray this morning, right of heart, humble of heart, genuine of heart, that we put our faith and trust in you as our Lord and our Savior. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, about this part of the service that we do. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took this bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take this, my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you now take that portion of your cup and partake of the cup? tells us also in 1 Corinthians in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 25, in the same way he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Would you take that cup and drink that? If you're not a Christian, let me say this morning that every child of God here has demonstrated their faith in Christ. No greater way to put your faith in something 
than to eat something. You say, I put my belief in that. Trust that it is good for me, healthy for me, right for me. Every Christian this morning is proclaiming Jesus is holy and right and good for us and beneficial. I know no greater sermon to give than the Bible of Christ saying that to the one unified God. And this morning, the invitation is for you, if you don't know Christ, to come and give your heart to Him. Would you stand this morning? We're going to sing, and the Lord has spoken. You come. You come.